Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and uh, i got to say, after recent bouts of COVID and flu and all sorts of things going on in our house, my voice is uh, is deeper than normal. And uh, as I'm listening through these headphones, I'm quite enjoying that. My radio voice is alive and well, so strap in for another exciting episode of In The Shift. We uh, we do actually have a good episode for you today. Uh, we have uh, an episode that really is a response to uh, some questions that have come our way. We did an Instagram uh, survey a week or two back asking what questions people might have for the podcast. And so we respond to some of those today. And I'm joined by Shane Meyer-Holt, who you will now probably be familiar with if you've been listening along for the last few months as we've talked all things megachurch. And also by a new friend of the show, that sounds good Good radio, eh? New friend of the show, Carly Lahana, who also joins us. Uh, another person who's come through the megachurch world and, and, and the church world in her life and is now in a place of processing that. So we chat together about a bunch of the questions that came in. In particular, in this episode, we deal with questions related to deconstruction and some questions related to kind of the question of, you know, what what megachurch responses might be to all of this and whether or not they can change. So both of those uh, are some of the big things we tackle uh, through a number of the questions that came in. There are more questions that we didn't have time to get to, and so I think we'll circle back around and do another episode uh, exploring more questions. So if you have any others for us, please do send them in. You can get in touch um via email, feedback at intheshift.com, and send us stories, experiences, questions, whatever it is you want to send. We'd love hearing from you, even if sometimes I say, sorry, my inbox has been a bit overwhelmed. But that's largely due to uh, a period of prolonged uh, <laughs> sickness and uh, and squeezing all of this in, 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 in life. Uh, so um, nevertheless, even if it does take me a few days, or, or, or Shane or, or I who respond to you a few days to get back to you, we be assured we do enjoy hearing from you very much. So, uh, so say, yeah, send us your stories, your experiences, all your questions, and uh, and that'd be great. Uh, one of the other uh, great things that is happening at the moment is our Patreon community uh, on Discord. We're having some great conversations there. And uh, so if you would like to support the podcast, help make it a bit more sustainable for us, and also uh, get access to that online uh, conversation through Discord, then you can go to patreon.com slash in the shift. Chuck us a few bucks a month and uh, help make this thing happen and also join that conversation there, which would be cool. Uh, I should say that as people who uh, kind of squeeze this podcast in among the various other things that we are responsible for in our lives, uh, Shane, you'll notice at the end of this conversation, uh, Shane kind of uh, disappears uh, from the chat and that's because uh, one of his children arrived home and required attention. So uh, don't think that Shane got uh, super upset at what we were saying and just walked out. Uh, no. Just uh, parenting called. So, uh, so anyway, I think that's all we need to say about the episode for today. So, all I can say is this is episode 66 of In the Shift. Let's get into it. Today on the podcast, I have uh, two people joining me via the miracles of the interwebs. I have once again needs. Well, you're probably a bit sick of Shane and I talking with one another, but Shane is back. Hello, Shane. Hello. I'm sick of me. My <laughs> wife is too. It's an, in hindsight not the not the best way to amp up a uh, episode to say here's two people you're probably sick of. Um, but to <laughs> yes. sweeten the deal, we do have Carly Lahana joining hey. us today as well. Hey, Carly. Hello, I'm not sick of either of you. Oh, that's nice of you to say. And that's why she's a guest. And thank you. Good day. <laughs> Good um, day. What, what, we are, what we are doing in today's conversation is um, responding to some questions that that um, that came in. I put out a, a request over the Instagrams uh, last week, just seeing what kind of questions are swirling around for people that they'd enjoy a conversation about or, or find helpful. And so we're going to look at some of those questions today. Um, I'm not sure enjoy is uh, ever a uh, no. theme on In The Shift. Yeah. But, well, you know. it, there's a certain kind of enjoyment, isn't there? <laughs> Catharsis, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so we've got, look, we've got a bunch of questions, some around deconstruction and faith and that kind of journey, uh, a lot of which have been, um, you know, that stuff's been boiling away for people for a long time. And then some of that's also been triggered by the recent kind of mega church um, implosions and conversations Kefuffle. that have been going on around the place. Uh, and then we have some questions around church um, and what we kind of feel about what's going on at the moment and where things might be heading. And then there's a few other questions. Um, we did get a bunch of questions in about parenting through deconstruction and church and faith, which we're not going to spend time talking about today uh, because uh, we feel like we might want to bring in some some expertise on that conversation that none of us really feel like we necessarily have right now. So uh, so for those who, who sent in those questions, thank you. We will get to that at some point. Before we jump into the questions... Mike, Michael just kept like, on talking about getting them tithing as early as possible. And I was like, mm, I don't know, Michael. Seems look, a bit, get them tithing, seems a bit coercive. <laughs> yes, get them tithing from the age of three. I think that's, that's when I prayed my conversion <laughs> prayer. And so that's Good. when the tithing should begin. <laughs> Um, before we do that, Carly, seeing as you're a, you're new to a, to an in the shift conversation like this, um, did you want to just let us know a little bit about your kind of journey into this conversation, your um, experience um, leading up to this point, why you find yourself in, in the place that you're at? Would that be cool? Yeah, sure. So um, I was not raised in church spaces. Um, I was. I guess raised in a, I'd call it a lightly atheistic household where um, no one in my family went to church or thought much about God, but we weren't um, standing on mountaintops shaking our fists and um, screaming that nothing existed either. Um, I started coming to church uh, quite late, I guess, for for someone who's been involved in quite big church spaces um, uh, in my last year at uh, high school. Um, and it was through getting really involved in worship teams and creative areas that I sort of started first uh, as a volunteer, then a volunteer leader, then an intern, then part-time staff, and then full-time staff. So I did the whole, I did the proper, complete um, atheist to full-blown. Yeah, that's right. I hit every step on the way there. Um I worked full-time um, as a worship pastor and creative director in a fairly big church um, in Auckland for a number of years. And then I moved to London where I lived for about five years working um, as a key production lead for in another very substantial church, uh, which is, and I'm going to give the game away, it was an Anglican church that is uh, sort of got a foot in the Anglican community and a foot in the mega church community community. Mm. Um, and towards the end of that, uh, I just uh, basically burned out, as many of us do, um, and stepped out of there. But I have um, only not been full-time or part-time in church since about October last year. So it's still pretty new, um, working full-time now um, in a non-profit um, still managing volunteers because I do like volunteers and care about them and want them to have a good experience. So that's uh, been a bit of the journey. Um, and a lot of my deconstruction has been kind of an ongoing thing because I wasn't brought up in church. I was always a little bit shifty-eyed towards some of the more um, blindly accepted uh, beliefs that tend to pop up in big church spaces. Um, but I think it was really when uh, the Trump election came through um, that you saw this massive shift starting to happen where I felt like what I was trying to do in terms of bringing change um, to church just started to get away from me and us a little bit. Mm. Um, and eventually it became a choice of do I keep trying to bring change into this space or do I admit that uh, maybe it's time to smack on the doors from the outside for a little while. Mm. <laughs> so that's basically what happened there. Um, yeah, that's great summary. Thank wow. you. Um, Shane and I could learn a little bit about getting to the point and, you know, actually. Oh, no, that's up. not, that's <laughs> the, <laughs> that is the one. You're going to ask me one question. I'm going to talk for 45 minutes <laughs> and then you're going to be like, well, great podcast, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that happens. <laughs> I love listening to you. Oh, thank um, you. And Carly, look, uh, we've just sort of, well, sort of bumped into each other through through this podcast really over the first half of this mm. year and, and through the conversations we've been having and um, through our chats on Discord. Uh, yeah. Uh, yep. That's right. Um, We're super young internet users. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Sure are. We are funky people. We know people. how the platforms work. <laughs> That's right. 
Watch out, TikTok. <laughs> uh, yes, the In the Shift dance challenge will be coming soon. Um, <laughs> and you still work with volunteers, which is good. So that means your, yes. your cars and your, your car and your gardens must be in tip-top shape. Oh, that's right. Yep, my um, my Porsche is getting detailed as we speak, which is very good. nice. Mm. Hope um, they don't get any blood from their fingers on it. Very disappointing. <laughs> on, the white, on the white leather. Well, that's, that's why you buy a red Porsche, everyone. Uh, oh, oh, wow. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Tips. <laughs> Uh, you got two groups to have of listeners. Two of me, got, were you? <laughs> we've got two groups of listeners. One group who is who is learning how to, you know, pull apart and deconstruct the mega church system, and the other, the other group who are taking notes on how to build one <laughs> to the exact specifications. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, look, so we've got some questions um, that we want to tackle together around, and this is a bit of a freewheeling episode, really, and we'll just see where it, see where it goes. Uh, a bunch of questions did come in around that process of kind of. Um, deconstruction and it's super interesting Carly having you as well because both Shane and I have more immersive um, Christian upbringings in that sense and I think those different experiences do shape that journey mm. differently mm. Um, one of the questions that has that has come in from people is this question of how do I deconstruct without um, without entirely losing hope um, feeling in this place of um, sort of nowhere land limbo um, even the question of like just literally how do I survive this came in. And I think mm. in some ways it speaks to how central these belief frameworks are to us, not just to a thing that we do, but to our sense of identity and belonging and meaning mm. and the way we even understand what what life is and what it means to be human and our place in the universe. Mm. Um, and so it can feel like this this unraveling that where is this going to take me? Um, so yeah, let's start with with that question, Carly. You're you're the newest, so let's start with you. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, is you that can good? Fi- you can fix it. <laughs> you fix it, and then um, Shane and I will um, affirm you with lots of wows and and, and preachets. Um, Thanks. So yeah, do you have what, what's your kind of sense of, of of responding to that question? It is. It's such a difficult um, environment, often when you're you're in a space where you're asking these questions and you have these doubts, but um, when you're you're confronted with this sense that faith is a place that has to be absent of doubt for it to be faith. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it makes us as, you know, Christian people often really, really scared to feel doubt because then we're not having enough enough faith in, in Jesus and therefore, uh, you know, that brings up all kinds of questions about the, the sort of um, safety of our salvation and, you know, all these kind of very, very basic, deep core fears get rushed to the surface. Um, but I think that learning to recognize that doubt is a key part of a faith journey is mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. it's you have permission through like all through scripture that there's there's people doubting like doubt is a really key tenant of of um a, a journey with god or with faith or with the church and i think just having someone give you permission to enter into a sense of I don't know where this exploration of my faith is going to take me is something a lot of people don't get Mm. Um, Mm. because you're made to feel like a sense of shame around not having a a certainty that, Mm. uh, you know, this belief or this theology or just the whole thing in one package is is right. Um, And then even when we do talk about doubt in in large church spaces it's often again like the senior person on the stage like talking about it in this past context as like Mm, yes doubt happens when you're like a new baby like like not as good Christian as me but then you graduate from being a doubtful Christian to being a good Christian who doesn't doubt so if you're going if you're doubting now that just means that you have more work to do to be um, a fully functioning Christian and actually I think doubt makes faith really beautiful and if you're doubting Mm. like welcome come swim in the pool it's (laughs) cool yeah yeah Yeah, it's Mm. interesting isn't it that that if you've never if you haven't been in an environment that has modeled doubt as a part of faith then it's hard to even imagine a a faith that you might have that has room 
for doubt and for those mm. for those unanswered questions. And yeah, mm. I think it's um the the kind of the hope would be that yeah there are for people to realize there are lots of us like right there are, there are so yeah. many people in the space um you know and my one of the things i often say about doing a doctorate in theology when you become a professional um person who knows about god is um is that you know that has not made me more certain about my faith you know that's not been the 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 result of that journey you know it's it's actually it continues to be one of of doubt and belief and questions mm-hmm. unanswered. You know, mm. those those are the real, and that's the real depth and beauty of the human experience and of the journey mm. of faith. Shane, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, look, look, just I guess just playing off what Carly said, I think like you know, that discussion of faith um, is a really important one because how you define what faith is um, kind of sets the terms for it. And lots of us have been brought up in context where faith is about certainty and it's about beliefs. Um, whereas I think a more fair representation of faith in the Bible is often just actually relational trust, that we trust that we trust God, that we trust that God is good and that we, we try and keep our trust in God. Um, and that's a difficult process because sometimes the God that you're trusting changes. And again, throughout scripture, the, the the view of who God is and his perspectives and angles on who God is, um, God reveals God's self throughout throughout scripture. Um, and sometimes that looks different than what people expect. And I think we can have, I guess, uh, as unsettling as deconstruction is, um, if we have a sense of that our job is to trust truth, and to trust fidelity and to wherever we can hang on to relationship, um, but also trust that sometimes relationship with particular forms of God need to be let go um, if our journey is going to evolve. And I, I guess we were sitting together, um, we had a community night last night, um, and one of the things we did is we read together our community prayer. Um, and one of the lines in it that my wonderful friend Rod wrote um, just really struck me in thinking about this conversation, and, and it's, um, give us doubt that faith may find new forms. Um and God give us faith that doubt may not overwhelm us. And I think it's it's a beautiful tension to sit in where we can um, allow doubt to allow us to see God in new light and that is good and, and that we can trust that God is behind and in that process. Um, but then also there's times where you just like, far out, like, like just give me a break from this like existential crisis that, we, that you don't get overwhelmed because it does strike you to your very core. Um, yeah, and so I think if we see faith as trust instead of certainty, it gives us a lot more space. Um, and just knowing that it's a, it's a well-worn path, um, this is part of the tradition of Christianity right from the very beginning that we aren't the first people to ask questions to um, poke and prod, yeah. Yeah, it's the... Um, <laughs> it's, I was thinking about it. Because I, I, I had the privilege, I suppose, in, in some respects, or the opportunity because of my study to kind of have an active space for processing my mm. deconstruction. Um, whereas for many people I know, it was something that was kind of happening to them while they were also trying to have to, you know, do all of the other things. That they were. So I kind of had mm. time devoted to to the conversation in, in a sense. And that mm. that was something that not everybody has. Um, and so I, I didn't necessarily find myself in massive moments of existential crisis during my, my deconstruction journey as it was something I kind of worked through. I did have, a couple of weeks ago, had COVID, and uh, I did have some bad fevers. And about two in the morning, one night, I was like, I'm going to die. Nothing means anything. It's all, it's all meaningless. <laughs> Is that the moment you took your Nietzschean turn and became the Ubermensch and will to powered your way through the world, trampling on the weak ones who try and hold you? I was with like, their I'm going to have to wake up in the morning morality. and resign my, you know, all of my things. <laughs> uh, you know, and then I woke up in the morning and the fever had eased. I'm like, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> um, you be... just need a cup of tea and a lie down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Carly, for you, what did community and deconstruction look like? Like, as someone, I think I I've had um, 
uh, you know, having followed this podcast and, and followed um, a lot of what's been happening in Australian and New Zealand church spaces, but having been a little bit removed from them for a while, um, I do find myself in this interesting place where I just have that kind of personality where I kind of loudly deconstructed in front of everyone in church, like aggressively for a really long time. Um, I but love that I was, about you. <laughs> but I was fortunate in that I had this level of access and privilege because I'd been at the church that I was at for when I stepped out and, and moved to the UK. I'd been in that church for 17 years, um, but again, from like a volunteer every now and then through to being on staff. And so because that process was gradual, I kind of got away with it in, in ways that I'm, I recognize many people don't get an opportunity to. Um, so I could, uh, and, and then I think anyone who's spent any time in like a large church environment will know how you use jokes as a way to hide like your pain and struggle. So you'll, you'll joke about moving chairs at three in the morning, um, or you'll joke about speaking in tongues because, you know, there's times where you're like speaking in tongues is not going to help me. I need sleep. Um, and so, you know, you just, I just started using that medium to kind of deconstruct um, uh, things about um, a lot of my deconstruction started around, uh, I studied anthropology and English literature at university as my first degree because I studied for eight years full time because who wants to get an actual job like a grown mm. up? Nobody, not me. Um, and so what? even though at that time I hadn't really studied any theology, it did give me this grounding and like being able to look at um, media we consume and how that impacts our culture and how we talk and think about things. And so a lot of the time I'd be like taking in theology at a church level and then smashing that up against what I'd been learning at, at university um, in terms of how culture works and and just kind of processing that around things like uh, racial inequality and, um, you know, capitalism and poverty and, and that mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then the other thing was a lot of the people I led were like young people who just had to sit there and deal with me screaming at them about how like labor rights were important and feminism was important and they didn't know any better to tell me to shut up so that was helpful um uh, we're, but, we're probably talking fig- figurative screaming um because that is a sensitive topic for some yeah oh yes figurative screaming <laughs> yeah. um yeah. but i think as well like um there like the reality is and i think all of us will know this haven't been in past pastoring like roles is like being a pastor in church is incredibly lonely. Mm, And mm. I think one of the struggles there is that uh, it made me someone who didn't have a very strong community um, Mm. and didn't have a lot of people I could be really honest with about how the deconstruction I was going through was impacting me from a uh, an internal perspective. So I felt like I could quite easily talk about these things from an external, like observational perspective, but then you'd kind of go home and just be like kind of lonely by yourself. And, and I think that's probably quite a universal experience of, uh, you know, people who've been in this space, whether they're on staff or a volunteer or not, just... Um, feeling really like they are alone, even in spaces where you've kind of said, oh, I've got this thought or this idea and people have nodded at you. You're like, "Mm, Mm. are people agreeing with me or are they just like, oh, here Mm. comes Carly again with her ideas? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's and that's kind of the tragedy of it as well, is, is that it's just how few spaces have people who have been through this process themselves that can, mm. you know, that can <laughs> sit you down and say, it's okay. Mm. There's book there's books on this. <laughs> there's like yeah. multiple, there's multiple frameworks for how we understand this is actually a um really, really common pattern for anyone who's maturing in faith to go through these phases phases and stages, no matter which angle you're coming from. Like yeah. and that's just a tragedy of um that, you know, people can't lead in this space because they haven't allowed themselves to go through it or that the people who have gone through it have been exiled. And so um there are so there's just I guess so much poverty in this area of 
yeah, of, of, of safe spaces to process and stuff. And mm. I think, you know, Frosty and I probably have a very unique experience in some ways because there's kind of four or five of us who found us in a similar spot at a similar time um, and, you know, who all all were able to kind of process this out loud. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have got through, I wouldn't have got through without that group because I, you know, unlike Frosty, I did have deep existential crisis because of the, I had, you know, <laughs> the trauma coming in from me from multiple angles. And, um, and yeah, I needed, I needed that, that group of people to process out loud with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The experience of, um, I mean, I think we've said this a bunch of times, but the experience of isolation and aloneness in this mm. is something that just about everybody talks about. And it's, um, and it's kind of devastating to me, you know, because I, I think uh, in the sense of, because I know that experience as well, of just what it, yeah, of of the fact that so many people can be going through an experience and all feel so alone in it um, mm. is, is kind of tragic, you know? Uh, and yeah. it's in mm. some sense the power of like the script within a, within a, within a setting where faith equals certainty. Because you can have mm. somebody, you know, I don't know, in like a, in a gathering up the front talking in really certain terms whilst harboring deep unanswered <laughs> questions in their own soul, talking mm. to a group of people all sitting there nodding whilst also mm. wrestling with all of these, you know, these, these, these questions and uncertainties and doubts in their own heart and mind that they're then going home and pondering and thinking about. Um, mm. And the fact that none of those people are able to actually, they're all in the same room together sometimes and just aren't able to talk to each other about it because you don't know if you're going to be talking to a person who that's okay with or a person who's going to <laughs> tell, Whether the SS is watching. Yeah, the, yeah. It's a little bit the like The Gestapo is going to burst in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah whether you're going to get uplined or, or whatever, yeah. you know, because you're looking yeah. found out. And so, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, yeah, that, that I guess that side of things is really sad to me. And one of the things I hope that we're able to do by keeping on having these conversations is provide a sense of solidarity, even if it's um, mm. just by getting to listen to people ramble on about stuff. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. For people who feel like they may be right at the, the the start, and I think that's something I've I've become aware of. I, I suppose as one of the unique things about this year is because of particular kind of church stories that are unfolding. There's a lot of people together, all kind of entering into this conversation at the same time, which is, you know, a, a, a slightly unique thing. Um, seems mm. like a unique moment in time in that sense, um, and that a lot of people have kind of been tipped into this process of. Of deconstruction, almost accidentally. I mean, I suppose it it, 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 it does always feel a bit like that, probably for most mm. people that you sort of suddenly found yourself there. But um, people who feel themselves right at the brink of sort of deconstructing and, and don't know how to to sort of enter into that process with any kind of um, I don't know structure or thought. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, do, I guess do you have any do you have any thoughts for um, for how someone begins that process of of unpicking um, with unpicking stuff? Shane, do you want to talk about that first? I was really hoping to hear more of Carly, but <laughs> do you have anything, Carly? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the the real key things that again, it's so much of this is not it, it's not an ability issue of people just feeling yeah. like they don't necessarily know where to start, but often it's just feeling like you've been com- given permission mm. to yep. step into things that we've been told either expressly or mm. through context clues are like no-go zones. And, you know, I think when I think of, you know, well, how do we how do we start to this journey, you know, a, a lot of it is around like I, I think about the things that we do in our church context and the way we approach scripture and 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 that and we often well, we have these sort of fallacies of reasoning, which is often this appeal to authority and appeal to a history that's not true. Mm. Um, and mm. we feel like because someone said, oh, you know, this is what, as a church community, we believe this. And we've always believed this. So if you don't believe this, then you're, you know, stepping into like the the scary world of, of heresy. And I think that just burdens a lot of people this fear that if I if I read the wrong thing or or start to question the the certain beliefs am I going to accidentally cult myself yeah, and yeah. you know and become you know some accidental like raging satanist or something like that and the and the reality is a lot of these things that in in these church spaces we've 
told each other and ourselves are foundational things aren't, um, hmm. you know. Um, so even things like, you know, where they where we talk about things like young earth creationism, hopefully I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> no, for, no, no, you, um, you go for, for this. But, you know, pe- people say, oh, that's, that's what we believe. It's what we've always believed. Mm. And you're like, no, this mm. theology of like the earth was created in six days and is 6,000 years old, that theology is like what? A hundred years nineteen fifties, maybe. Is <laughs> yeah, that yeah. like right? Yeah. And 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 but we're to, well, that's what we've always mm. believed. Like mm. and and so therefore we can't believe in evolution, mm. and we can't believe in that because we've always mm. believed this. And if we don't hold on to our core beliefs, then mm. how can we call ourselves real Christians? Meanwhile, sixteen hundred years ago, the church fathers are like mocking people for um, talking yeah. about little crea- six day creation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's this thing of like, where do you start? Is by not being afraid to start, mm. because if mm-hmm. it, you know, if we we often talk about. Um, our beliefs in ways that we don't bear out in how we treat our our faith. We talk about God being like super, like strong and able to overcome, but don't question that one thing because if you do, it will all collapse and everything <laughs> yeah. will be terrible. It's like, well, if, if God's really like this all-powerful, all-knowing be- being, then surely they can deal with us being like, what about that thing over there that seems a bit weird? Um mm. And God's like, don't look over there. The whole thing falls apart. Don't don't look behind the curtain. So I, I, I think, like, how do you start in deconstruction? Is being like feeling that you've been given permission to be curious about the things that you believe. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because good theology is is something that you can explore without it collapsing around with this like slightest level of questioning. And Mm. also the idea to me that theology is static is like, like it doesn't make any sense. We, we talk about, you know, the, you hear that in, in, you know, big church spaces all the time. The Bible is living and active. It's the living and active word, but it also <laughs> never changes. And don't think anything new about it ever because it's living and active. So it's the same always. And, <laughs> and like realistically, like our theology is not, um, is not something that should stay the same and our beliefs and mm. approaches to God and faith and all these spaces aren't something that should remain static and mm. so feel the right to be curious about what you believe and why and trust that if you approach that in good faith and read and ask questions, you will find yourself where you are still safe and loved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and yeah, and and even you know, if, if pursuing truth and authenticity like um, is your goal, then wherever it leads you should be truthful and authentic. And so, yeah. if God is truthful and authentic, like as you've described, if God is the God that we hope God is, then actually leaning into that. Um, shouldn't un- shouldn't unravel God. I, I remember mm. one of the key um, turning points for me in this whole thing was um, I don't even I still don't even know how I came across it. Like I, I have no idea because it's the ugliest oldest book that I had around, and I, I I still don't know where it came from. But I stumbled into this book called The Critical Journey um, by Olick and Hagberg. Um, and it was written in what, maybe in the 19, late 1970s, 19, early 1980s. And I remember reading it and it's kind of a book around the stages of faith, but I like it um, more than a lot of the other ones around just because of how narrative driven it is. And, um, you know, it talks about um, just, just different stages in like a normal faith development um, that's kind of been tracked across, you know, hundreds and thousands of stories um, that people have described over long periods of time. Uh, and I remember reading through the stages and going, ah, oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, 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 yes, I remember that. Ah, uh, mm. oh, yes. The, uh, and then going, oh, God, this is where I am now and it's horrible. And going, oh, like I thought this was like first time that anyone's ever felt this way about my situation because literally mm. everyone 
in my entire life has said, you know, like doubt was this kind of passing thing or um, they asked a question once and then they talked to someone wise and they went, this is the answer. I'll show you in this um, out of context scripture. And you're like, oh, okay, it's, it, is all, it is all well then. And, and I, none of that appeased me. And I thought like I'm losing my mind um, and I'm going into very dangerous places because I can't just nod and smile. And I just have to learn to suppress. Um, and this book describes to me the feeling of the wall, which is where mm-hmm. everything you've ever done to make you feel close to God doesn't work anymore. And you've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And the only you can think, thing you can think of is giving up. And at that point, sometimes giving up's okay because mm-hmm. it's actually that point that you work out either God is gonna show up and rescue me and it might take years or God isn't strong enough to do that. And I don't know if I really want to believe in that God. And Mm. the relief for me of going, I am not the first person to be here and people come out the other side of this journey different and it's okay was like, just like this physical palpable feeling of like just pure relief to go, I don't know, I'm not in control. I don't know what's going to come of this. But either way, it's not just because I'm a uniquely terrible person or uniquely weak. Um, mm. In fact, it actually is actually a sign of strength sometimes that rather than choosing to suppress things, that you choose to bravely hold them because lots of people get stuck at particular places just because they're not brave enough to actually face the reality of their questions and uncertainties and some really uncomfortable feelings. And sitting with uncomfortable feelings is by very nature uncomfortable. Um but we don't have to suppress that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that um, again, that kind of feeling of solidarity of some kind um, when you read of someone else's experience or many people's experience and when, you, um, yeah, when, you, you, when you're able to see that what is happening to me is not yeah, this unique um, mm. person losing their mind uh, or losing mm. their way uh, that's that's never happened before, or if it has, it's happened to those naughty people <laughs> who you know mm. out there somewhere now. Um, yeah, so that 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 sense of being able to recognise that this is in fact what the journey of faith typically looks like for people who are who are in, empowered to be curious mm. enough to actually go on on an authentic journey of faith. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, it would be way less uncomfortable if this was just modelled to us throughout our faith communities, rather than us having to like find secret books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might tell us find this, secret books this and stuff. then bump into people, and then they say something, and then you think, oh, they might, and then you say something, and then you sound them out. Are they the kind of person I can have this conversation with? And then they say something. Yeah, I think it's it like be. an underground railroad, but for thinking that maybe. <laughs> and then you say, "Have you read any of such okay. and such?" And then they say. Oh no, and you're like, oh no, no, no. Oh no, uh, no, or no. They, or they say no. yes, and you're like, I found my people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. What? Maybe one last question on the kind of deconstructiony stuff, which is, which is how to perhaps navigate um, the experience of being in a church where you are going through this process of of unpicking or deconstructing or whatever language we want to give to that um, of questioning belief, but you're in a context which perhaps still matters to you, what, you know, where your relationships are, where your friendships are, where your, mm. your networks mm. of care are, um, but, but that are presenting a form of faith that you're in the process of kind of deconstructing or, or rethinking. Um, do you have any thoughts about how to navigate that kind of experience itself? Because it is one that, again, is very, very common for, for people in this journey. That's a hard one, isn't it? It is. Um, I think I don't really have an answer to that. I think that the only, considering that question, the only thing I kind of thought was to be aware of how breakthrough culture can negatively impact our process in something that is a very long journey mm. where we often, mm. uh, you know, we, we talk about the the breakthrough and this idea that, you know, at some point, you know, God's going to snap their fingers and then 
um, everything will be different and nothing will be the same and all of those problems will have gone away because I had this moment of, of breakthrough and the reality is it's, it you know, it's very much like one day you'll be like, oh, this is amazing, I'm really making progress and then the next day you're like, oh, everything's terrible again. Um, That's such and, and, a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I think we do get... Uh, you know, when we something makes sense to us in one area, and I think as individuals and as cultures, we will tend to like blanket that across everything and be like, well, it worked here, so therefore it works mm. everywhere. Mm. And when we're in spaces that have told us that, oh, there will be a breakthrough, and at which point there's a breakthrough, everything will be different. And, and, mm. And then we can feel like because there's a change happening inside of us that our outside um, expressions or movements and relationships and communities doesn't like match up properly anymore. We think that we're being inauthentic or dishonest or um, uh, we are creating friction or... um, you know, that that kind of thing where we feel like, well, I've changed and I have to change everything. And maybe that's right for some people, but I think that a lot of the time, like with everything, it's just a matter of like trying things and seeing what works for you. And that's mm. very vague and unhelpful in many ways, but mm. I, I don't want to fall into that category of being like, well, this is what I did, mm. so you should all do that and then it will all be yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't all fine and, you know, I had some like, you know, relationships break down and, you know, lots of really not happy experiences um, at, this, at the same time. Um, you know, I also had people come to me and be like, it was really, you know, cool how you would talk about this kind of stuff and that helped me start to think about these things as well. Mm. Um, so everything's kind of, um, you know, joy and sadness all mixed together. So that's a very long-winded way of saying I have no idea. What, how to, no, how to but deal like with I it. think, I think what you name there though about it just again, like how we're not trained, we're not trained for things that we can't overcome immediately. Like that, that mm. yeah, that whole ethos and like the really strong parallels there with disability and things like that, where people who you know suffer with chronic illness or long term disability and things like that, and either eventually just either have to suppress or leave because it's just really, really uncomfortable. And so I think a mm. huge part of it is, is, is actually saying, like because one of the questions was, is it possible to remain in a place where you disagree with some of the theology? And there's kind of two halves to that question. One, is it possible for you? And then one, is it possible for them? Because um, I absolutely think it's possible. Like I am mm. in a community where we have all kinds of strands of theology in there and disagree about lots of stuff. But because it's a space where there's an expectation about Conversation and what unity looks like that's not just uniformity um, and homogenization, then that's made easier. Um, but if, if the place that you are in is hostile, is actively mm. hostile towards that, then you have to ask the other question of how much friction and tension can I metabolize? What price am I paying for remaining here? Um, and, and look, sometimes the answer might be that I don't know what that looks like right now, but you have other communities of care that can hold you in that space um, while your primary church community can't as you work that stuff out. And that can kind of be like a holding ground while you work out how safe or, um, yeah, what effect it's having on you, I guess. Mm. But and us all agreeing what, on everything isn't the end of it. Like, you know, that doesn't fix no. it. And I think as well, just when you were talking earlier about um, just now about like, you know, people who function in these spaces with disability, I think I have a disability, I've got cerebral palsy. And then um, I think that just, it reminds me, I just, I've got a recovered memory that's popped up. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) um, So I, I'm very fortunate in, in um, that I can still, you know, I can do a lot of the, the things that I love doing. Um, I've had some operations and, and that kind of stuff, but I can um, play the music I like and live the life I want and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very aware of my privilege. What, where my disability kind of shows itself is when I'm really tired, I, I get this kind of progressively more um, overtly limp Mm. and um uh and 
so there was a time where I was doing, uh, we'd done our conference and we'd finished and it was like, so everyone was completely exhausted and um, we were kind of packing up at the end and I had some very enthusiastic prayer warriors who I didn't know um, show up and uh, ask, like say, which leg is it to me? Um, or which knee is it, was it? And and this guy, um, person, clearly thought that I had a um, had an injury or something like that or a, dis- a disability and thought it was my knee, which it's not. My knees are fine. <laughs> Just the my brain's like, I'm going to make it go a different way. Um, <laughs> and was trying to have this prophecy over me and then started praying for me and started praying joy back into my life, which was really oh, nice. And not paternalistic just, at all. I was just sitting there being like, disabled people, we're not, we're not sad. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't wake up in the morning and be like, oh no, I might trip. Like, how, miser- how sad to be me. Um, but I, you know, he, he was having this conversation with me and trying to get me to like name what had happened to me. And he was like, which near is, and I was like, it's neither. And and he and I wouldn't give him what he wanted because disabled people in prayer spaces are often seen as a future testimony and not as people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're not really yeah, interested so in what that person needs. You're interested in what you can take back to your stage on your church that next Sunday. Mm. And me not giving that person what they wanted in that moment made it really tense and really uncomfortable and very long-winded way of saying, if you're in a space where your deconstruction is making other people around you uncomfortable, that's not your problem. Yeah. Oh, that's so very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess if, if you're in one of those spaces and you're feeling like you have to hide yourself or what you'd like to talk about or... Um, that kind of thing, because your primary worry is that you're going to make someone else uncomfortable. Um, obviously, there's honour in in allowing other people the space that they need. But mm. if it's just purely hiding yourself for the sake of this kind of fake unity, I you know that's not something you should spend an overt amount of time worrying about. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, I think fake what, unity is such a good description. Yeah, of it. yeah, it is. Yeah, mm. and I think that you know that that does get to the to the heart of things in in a sense that um, yeah, there is no one answer to the question. You know, can I stay and do mm. this, or do I need to go, or you know, mm. all, all all those kinds of questions that come up for people a lot in this process because there is no single answer to that question, and, and communities differ, experiences differ, people, the things people are wrestling with, and the way they wrestle with them are you know different from person to person and context to context. Um, mm. But but I do know that for many people, um, and I remember having this conversation with with someone uh, superior at the top of the food chain, and being like, "I'm okay being different and thinking differently," mm. but I get the feeling mm. you're not okay with me being different and thinking differently. Mm. And basically, yep. they were like, yeah, "Yeah, we're not okay with you," <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and to <laughs> yeah. me, those like, okay, yeah. well then, this is th- then we're not going to be able to like, I'm okay being in a space and thinking differently. Um, mm. Yeah, um, I'm okay being in a church community where we don't all believe the same thing, um, or, or, mm. or a friendship group and community where we don't all believe the same thing. Mm. Um, but if the other people there are not okay with that, and that does become, like you said, Shane, hostile, that becomes, you know, then then we do have to negotiate how whether or not we can sustain that for our own health and well-being, and then that becomes the longer term yeah. question. And maybe sometimes it's a, a not now, or it's just a, I'm just going to see how this goes for a little while. Um, mm. but certainly, you know, I, one of the other things I know is, and maybe perhaps this takes us into our, into our, um, conversations around, around church. Um, but the number of people, me included, who spent a long time in a space going, I think, I think things are about to change. I think, uh, <laughs> I can feel it. There's more of us thinking about this stuff and talking about this stuff. In actual fact, we were just the latest round of people going through these questions that, that were then probably going to leave. 
Um, but this kind of <laughs> this, um, and and then you know, I had friends who hung on, hung on longer for me because they were determined that like, no, it is going to change, and and I hung on for years in that space of things. Things are about to shift, and things are about to change. Sure, it might be a bit hostile right now, but surely you know <laughs> this will get through in the end. And then and then realizing after a while, like in that kind of conversation, just looking in in that moment and being like, I oh, know. It's not going to change. No, and in no. fact, it, <laughs> no. this is this is hostile to me, and I cannot be myself here. Uh, mm. And mm. again, mm. I didn't then walk out the door and leave that moment, but that was probably for me the start of of the leaving process, realizing that mm. that in fact this there wasn't a place for my authentic self here. Um, mm. You know. mm. I've had the wonderful experience of um, ha- um, having very stern talking tos from people who um, I'm too deconstructiony. Deconstruction-y for, um, and they're very angry at me. Uh, and then a little while later down the track, being um, uh, in conversations where I am um, with them in their deconstruction, and then the uh, experience of having them now very disappointed with me because I'm far too Christian for them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for the people that are angry at you, sometimes it's okay. They might change, and they might be angry at you for something else. Yeah, <laughs> it's always good. Okay, so let's um, let's change. Um, let's fold into the next kind of set of questions really which which related to, to some stuff that came in on 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 the insta just really about this this mega church conversation more more specifically that we've been having over the last few months as as the various stories have unfolded and continue to unfold and uh, and and you know these these are i think um these are not about one or two places that you know the our, my inbox is full of stories from people you know, we we three are all from different contexts, uh, and you know, inboxes are full of stories from all sorts of spaces which operate by this. You know, we started off by calling this the mega church playbook, um, because we saw the same kind of stuff repeated in multiple spaces, normalized within those spaces and within those networks, and with really harmful, you know, impact uh, on people's lives. So, so one of the questions is uh, <laughs> is speaking about can places change? Uh, the, one of the questions that came in a bit about this was, "Do you think megachurches are open to learning and change as a result of these conversations?" <laughs> Who wants to have a go at that? I'm one? looking at you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go first on this one. Um, look, I open and able might be two different things, um, and mm. openness at the beginning of a process might look different than openness later on down the track. Um, I, I used to be quite, I mean, you know, I used to be quite hopeful, um, and then (laughs) not at all. And then hopeful again, and then not, and then seeing some of the things, and we're not talking about any specific situation at the moment because there's, you know, a a number of ongoing um, processes at the moment and there's about to be a whole lot more when some more stuff drops soon. Um, but I, I guess my, my sense of this is, while I am always hopeful because I hope for the people involved that healing will happen, my the pragmatist in me just wonders whether churches have what they need in their toolkit to navigate these processes. Um, when muscles like empathy and listening and critical thinking um, and theological exploration and all of these things have been underworked for so long, bringing them into a context where they realize rapidly that change needs to happen and trying to exercise those muscles um, that have been sometimes actively squished (laughs) um, Mm. uh, and are so withered. Um, It's it's really difficult to see without some profound levels of change and humility, um, whether it's – whether whether change is actually possible because my deep sense is that um, for people, for communities that have been stuck in particular kinds of echo chamber, all of which have encouraged them in this direction and all of their networks and all of their resources and all of their stuff is drawn from the same well to actually create change. They're going to need to draw from wells outside of their experience. And I just don't know if they have those connections and the ability to listen to outside input um, or to even know what that necessarily looks like. Um, if you you know if you if you're taking the tools which have been used to stamp out the very things that are now 
that now needs space. Um, if all you have in your toolkit is catchphrases and out of context Bible verses and particularly bad habits, um, then what do you reach for to fix the crisis? Um, you know, when you see a, a community that's fractured, um, you're used to looking at that through a lens of disunity. And so what do you fix it with? Stronger emphasis on unity. Come on, let's all draw mm. together. Let's build this place. Let's, um, you know, bring out all the old Bible stories around unity to fix this disunity um, because that's the way it's been processed in the past. But that's what's got you to where you are. Um, when you don't have... Um, the capacity to see actually this disunity is not actually about um, people, uh, you know, not wanting good things. It's actually about people naming harm <laughs> um, and that people's experiences have been really, really toxic for them. Um, now it's time to lean into lament. Now it's time to lean into repentance. Now it's time to lean into um, the inversion of power structures described in the upside down kingdom and in the Beatitudes and the way that Jesus describes, um, you know, like who is favoured and who has status within the kingdom and all of these things. You don't have those muscles to draw on. You've, you might only have six sermons and which one of you do you go to to fix this thing? Um, I, I am just really deeply suspicious that, you know, that there's just not the stuff in the toolkit, like the the muscles of empathy, the muscles of deep listening, the muscles of collaboration, of all those things just aren't there. And so even doing your best to try and, you know, do a good thing, you just end up doubling down on harm. Um, yeah, it's... Um, which I, I think, makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. It It is sad because often then the... the, the uh, attempt to repair by using the same toolkit mm. can then cause further cascades of harm, right? Mm. Um, I think mm. too, perhaps even related to that, is that when all of your measurements for success, significance, for um, identity are shaped by the things that that toolkit produces, right? You, you, you've, got, you've got that toolkit because that toolkit... <clears throat> COVID, COVID voice, <clears throat> there it is. Just oh, receive it. very emotional. Uh, that mm. that toolkit is the thing that that gives you the outcomes that you have, you and all of your networks and peers have come to say these are the things that mean you're doing well. And so mm. it's it's also the openness to to revisit the things that have made you decide that you were a thing worth doing. That made you start mm. the thing, even in the first place. That you know, you know, or that 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 compelled you to get involved and to get on board with the vision uh, and to to climb the and to do all the steps. Um, you know, and I think that is hard too. And so, not only do you potentially not have the tools, you don't, you don't, you're not. It's it is hard to even accept that what you're shooting for is is not necessarily what you should be shooting for. Um, mm. Mm. And and sometimes what happens is is that you can be like, oh, okay, well, we just need to kind of go another way around, but to the same destination. Um, mm. But actually, maybe the destination's kind of the problem. And mm. and that yeah, I'm I'm not sure how much willingness and and it's not even willing, not even necessarily willingness at a personal level, but sometimes even if there's a personal willingness amongst um, people involved in those organisations to change, you look around and. You know, everyone you bring in to speak, every external speaker you bring in, every relationship in your network that you have are yeah. all telling you yeah. that that what you were about yeah. and what you were doing was was pretty much mm. on the right track because mm. they're all kind of doing. I the mean, same I thing. mean, the, and the theological task of like you know, you know, if your if your resources is just drawing from that pool of theology, but you don't have the tools to explore things from different angles or to even be aware of the wider conversation you're in, then where do you go with that? Like I think about the, you know, the, the task of kind of like preaching sermon, preaching a sermon series in crisis. And, you know, obviously sermons aren't where this thing is fixed, but it is definitely where some things are displayed. Um, and what else do you have to display other than, wheeling out what's been said before, mm. which is what got you there in the first place. Mm. Um, and so it's not even about being good people or not. Mm. Um, in lots of ways, it's about actually, can you access the resources that can find an alternate path for you? Can you access spaces 
that can tell you, hey, the very thing you're trying to do to fix this is actually causing more harm. I mean, in you know, the amount of times in a couple of contexts that are playing out at the moment, the people trying to help are just doubling down on harm because they still can't hear the perspective of people saying, you know, when you try and fix it like that, that actually just compounds mm. the hurt. And it, that's not, that <laughs> you're helping, it's not helping, it's hurting. Mm. Um, please stop. But there's still not the mechanisms for being able to actually mm. hear those perspectives and those voices. Yeah, I think, I guess there's there's actually a question underlying for me of like, when you when we look at size, the real question for me is: Can can churches that want to be healthy be big, versus can churches that want to be big be healthy? Mm-hmm. And I think that I I think in in a technical sense, I think any any large you know space, any large church can function in a in a healthy way. I do think that's possible. But like you guys have, have already um you know very clearly articulated the the problem is that a lot of this the toolkits that have got us to these spaces in the first place won't help us get back out, but we also don't really have anything else to try. Mm. Um, and so I think that the challenge ahead for for these big church spaces is are we willing to do away with the things that made us successful in the first place to walk into an, a very uncertain next step that may or may not result in us still being able to be big? And if it turns out that we can only sustain a much smaller community, while still being healthy, are we willing to do that? And I and I think that is a real challenge, and it's a challenge, not just. It's also like I I think in some ways an external challenge from outside because of how our culture in Western civilization works is that we co- we connect size to success, and we connect success to morality, mm. where. You know, like we 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 often will just sort of make throwaway comments, like people who are struggling financially, or well, you know, if you just like uh, ate less avocado toast, or or whatever boogeyman f- for you know financial struggle is at the moment. There's always that kind of knee jerk reaction of, oh, well, what did what did you do? to like not have enough money and often the reality is you just like the job you do is underpaid and you haven't got enough money but we connect um, a sense of morality to um, poverty mm. and we also correct a sense, connect a sense of morality to success so that when we see size as success we can't get smaller because it means we've made a that's the moral failing yeah yeah not whether the size of our church is healthy or the people in our church are healthy, but if it's small equals moral failure, which is is when you lay it out like that, people say, well, clearly no, like if your church is small, that doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, but it kind of undergirds all of our unconscious ways that we interact with the world around us in and out of church. And so... I think, yeah, technically a, a, a big church can be healthy, um, but I don't know that we're in a space where the people leading those churches have the courage to risk being small if that's what it takes to get to a healthy space. And that that's the, that's the real challenge. Yeah, and that's, you know, it is a wider cultural challenge, right? Because those narratives, those scripts mm. aren't just being fed to us in church. They're being fed to us mm. in the wider kind of, modern capitalist system that's telling us yeah. big, successful, bright, wealthy, these are the signs and the markers of success and significance and that you're doing mm. things right and that you're doing things yes. well. Uh, and so yeah. um, not only for the leaders of those churches but for the people attending them who get a sense of um, status or mm. or at least feeling special and important because I'm a part of this big thing that is big and special and important. Yeah. And so all of that is wrapped up in the sense of identity, yeah. So um, mm. so 
being willing to risk losing that is a risk that most spaces, I think, probably aren't willing to take because mm. that's everything. And, yeah, you know, um, it's core to identity. We are a, you know, if you are a big church, then you are a leading church in the nation or, or in our region mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. And so much of your self-understanding is grounded in that narrative. Um, yeah. And, you know, why would you, and you'll hear heard often in those spaces, why would you listen to someone with a smaller church than you? Because they mm. don't, you know, they're not as successful as you or they just don't understand, not like, and so you... you and, and, po- and they're pointing towards a much more difficult way of having community, aren't yes. they? Like, well, you have to try and listen to everyone. Yeah. And and you're like, right, so what you're telling me in order to be a healthy church is they have to be smaller with less money, listening to more people, getting less done and mm-hmm. having more responsibility. But that sounds like a great deal. It's not like an attractive can, package, is it? <laughs> it's not at all an attractive package. And what do you get out of the end of yeah. it is like, you know, we've spoken – uh, on the podcast before you guys have it's about like pastoring is really difficult and no matter how well quote unquote you do it there's always going to be people who felt like you didn't meet their needs mm. or couldn't see what what they needed or couldn't give them what what they needed to feel like they were being ushered into a healthy space for for lack of a better term and so you know when when you kind of lay out what you have to sacrifice and risk in order to make your job harder and get less uh, of our Western ideas of success out of it, it's a pretty hard sell. <laughs> it's a hard sell. You, <laughs> it's a pretty hard sell. You get all of that sell. and you get less status and you get less invites and people yeah. think... And your job is harder. And your job is harder. And, and people don't like yeah. you even more. <laughs> They still don't like, you know, they, they might not like you as much, but now they can come up and tell yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Whereas before, at least you had the bounces. Exactly. Before that you could, had like, like the, the swipe the card uh, yeah. entry between you and them, <laughs> or you had, or, or they were scared of you. And that was very handy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I think it's so, um, it's having that conversation in some ways is kind of, um, I think, I think it's important to, for us to be honest and real about our our lack of hope for that for those spaces <laughs> in that sense, which is not to say there's a couple of things we're not saying, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, Carly, which is mm. we're not saying that it's impossible for large churches to be healthy, but that just mm. because of all of those factors we're describing, it's very difficult for them to move yep. in directions of health. Um, we're also yes. not saying that smaller churches are naturally healthy because they're smaller. Um, there can mm. be just as much toxicity and all of that kind of stuff, um, but there are some there's some particular dynamics of the large mega space that make health a challenge. Um, mm. And so, while we might sort of oh yeah, a part of me is is hopeful that that these spaces are able to see and understand and begin to shift and change. And then a part of me thinks, I just, yeah, I don't know if they can, but. Yeah, I th- I'd say I kind of uh, am in a similar space where I feel simultaneously hopeful and doubtful, mm. which, you know, is again, like It brings normal. us full circle to the beginning of our it conversation. It brings us full circle, <laughs> yeah. And I'd love, I'd love to find a, you know, I there's some elements of of big church life that I really miss, um, and a part of deconstruction is being like okay with admitting like there's there's parts of the the lights and the band and the all that kind of stuff that I do resonate with and miss, but it's not for me. I've got to a space where the sacrifice it takes to be in those places um, isn't worth what it brings mm. um in return and so uh yeah if anyone knows any super healthy big churches around the place let me know i'm keen to come check it out <laughs> <laughs> um hey so there are there are there are more questions that we um probably are not going to get time to get into today so we may circle back around mm. have a follow up mm. um, which would be fun um but thanks heaps for for joining the convo and for you. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. So there you have it, a conversation with Shane, Carly and myself responding to some of your questions 
and just really chewing the fat on all of this kind of stuff. Uh, and you know, we know that um, this is this is big stuff for a lot of people uh, in the process of wrestling through what all of this means and and what to do with it all. So we want to keep bringing these kind of conversations to you uh, as long as we feel that they are helpful to you. Thanks as always to Reese Michelle for taking this audio and making it sound good in your ears. Until next time.